Amen. Thank you, Brother Peter. You're a blessing. And I, I wanted to mention as uh, we get started this morning that uh, years ago we had a member in our church, uh, Brother David Mills. Some of you remember Brother David. He played the drum. And uh, he's uh, such a blessing to me. Of course, he's been with the Lord now for quite a while. But Brother David, uh, he said to me one day, he said, Pastor, he said, would it be okay if when you all went out into the community witnessing for the Lord, he said, would it be okay with you if I rode along and just stayed in the van and prayed for you while you knocked on doors? And I said, yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be a blessing. I said, we, we could use somebody praying. And uh, Brother Peter and I, he, Brother Peter has a heart to serve the Lord. And, uh, you know, even though God chose to take his eyes, uh, you know, not probably five, six years ago, uh, Brother Peter, just he still has the desire to be used of God. I love that spirit. And I pray for his wife, Claudia. She's got a lot of health issues. And uh, pray for her kidneys, and uh, she may be heading towards dialysis and so on. But um, Brother Peter called me the other day, and he said, Pastor, I don't know if it's possible, but he said, when you guys go out on Saturdays, could I possibly ride along and sit in the van and pray for you? And I never mentioned that to him. He never knew Brother David did that. So yesterday, Brother, Brother Peter was sitting in the van praying for us while we went from door to door sharing the love of God, and, and here he is this morning singing, and I know that song was a blessing to all of you. Take your Bibles this morning, and if you're uh, able to, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Let's go to the last book of the New Testament, the last book of your uh, Bible, the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, and uh, this is a wonderful book of the Bible, and I don't know about you, but uh, the book of Revelation is uh, it's challenging in many areas. And uh, it's a wonderful book, a lot to, lot to be said there. I know that Brother Flynn loves to live in this book, and, uh, and so there is so much here. And we're going we're gonna to just uh, one portion this morning. I'm beginning a brand new series called Remember. And, uh, you know, we are, we are very good at forgetting things, are we not? And uh, I know that uh, when I was teaching years ago that I used to tell my students that, and I, th I believe it's true, Repetition is the key to learning. And what happens is, is that as a Christian, we get saved, and over time, we tend to forget things. And I'm praying that in your heart and mind over these next however many weeks God has me uh, go this direction, that we will be reminded of some things, to recollect some things, to reminisce about some things that God wants us to remember you do know that if God says remember, that it's important that we do. Uh, remember what Jesus said, do this as oft as you will in remembrance of me. And he wanted us to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. And certainly we preach that every week here at Bible Baptist Church. So we come here to the book of Revelation. Now look at that picture for a second there. See that? Anybody ever remember hearing or maybe your mom used to tie a string around your finger so you would remember something? Uh, you know, what happens is, and I might be dating myself, but sometimes what would happen is you'd forget what the string was for. <laughs> well, it, uh, supposed to remember something. Now, what, what was it, you know? And I don't know about you, but uh, I have uh, people, Brother Kenny, my wife, they, they laugh at me times because how many of you know what post-it notes are? 
post-it notes. And uh, if you go in my office, there's post-it notes everywhere because uh, God gives me thoughts, and if I don't write it down, it's gone. And, uh, and so I, I stick those all over the place, and my wife's better at lists. I don't do good with lists. I, I have to write it down. But I, I'll tell you this, I want to remember what the Lord wants me to remember, and I hope you do too. And look in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 4. The Bible says, nevertheless, now remember this is the Lord speaking. I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Notice again, verse 5, remember, therefore. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. And I pray that you would use your word as you did in the earlier service. Lord, help us to remember. God, we are responsible for what we have heard, what we've been taught. And help us to remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you look at these verses... I've entitled this first message in this series, Remember First Love. Remember First Love. Now, the word remember means to bring to mind again. See, it was once there, but you need to bring it to your mind again. It means to remember the days of old. Now, I'm not talking about the bad days. I'm talking about the days that God was working in your life and the days that you used to do this for God and the days that you used to enjoy, that's what we're talking about when we say the days, the good days that we are to remember, the days of old. Now, our theme this year is stand. So we've looked at Jeremiah 6.16, our theme verse for the year, and the Bible says there that as we stand in the ways... And we see and ask for the old paths wherein is the good way, and we walk therein. In other words, while we are standing, while we are seeing the good way, while we are walking therein, the Bible says that there are some things that we are to remember. This morning we come to one of those. Now I get it, I are one, a man. And men are infamous for forgetting things. Uh, we are way worse with it than women are. I Years ago, I think we were having a sale at our house. We were trying to get rid of things. My wife was out in the garage yesterday, and she was looking at the shelves in the garage, and she says, you know, I don't think we've touched anything on those shelves for a long time. In other words, if I could translate, let's get rid of that junk, is what she was saying. Now, of course, there are things on those shelves that I'm not ready to part with. But nonetheless, there have been times where we have gotten rid of some things. And years ago, we, we had some stuff and we were selling it. And one of those items was a briefcase that I used to use years ago. And I almost forgot that I had it. And one of our neighbors saw that briefcase and just picked it up and said, Oh, look at that. I, my, my husband would love that briefcase. And, and, and so th- she bought it from us and, or we gave it to her one or the other and and, uh, and so, I, you know, about a, a day or two went by, and she knocked on the door, and she said, hey, listen, I, 
I got that briefcase from you, and it's locked. Do you know the combination? Well, um, hmm. and then all of a sudden I had this epiphany. It's a six-digit code, three on this side, three on this side. And I remembered years ago, what can I use that I will never forget? My anniversary, 05-04-85. Is that my anniversary? And so we roll the numbers, bingo, it opened up. I still remember my anniversary. Now, some of you guys laugh what you want, but you didn't remember whenever I, whenever I said what mine was. Now, listen, we forget things, and oftentimes we forget things that we shouldn't forget, important things. I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God has written some things down that we would never forget. And, I, and when I think about this, it's so important that we understand. Do you understand the treasure you hold in your hand today? The written words of God. What a blessing that God wrote it down. Listen, so many of us have read it, studied it, even memorized it, only to forget it. Things slip our minds they, they go away from our memory, and we need to remember God's Word. Uh, uh, listen, your prayer every day should be, Lord, help me to remember what you want me to remember. Every time I, I stand behind this sacred desk, that's my prayer is, Lord, help me only to say what you want me to say. Help me to only remember what needs to be said. It ought to be our prayer is that we would remember the things of God, and so that brings us to a book in our Bible known as the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I get tickled sometimes. People say, turn to the book of the Revelations. No, it's the Revelation of Jesus Christ is what it is. And it's all about the Lord. It's all about the days to come. It's all about what we call eschatology. But when we come to the book of Revelation, in the book, one of the things that we do see is a church that is mentioned by the name of the Church of Ephesus. Now, the Church of Ephesus is the first church that's mentioned as you get to chapter number 2. Now, chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation, and I'm just trying to lay some groundwork this morning. This is not a, a full in-depth study this morning of the book of the Revelation or the book of the churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3, but I want you to give a little context of what the message is really all about. Now, when you come to chapter number two, there are seven letters. Now, listen, even though we call them books in our Bibles, when you look at the, the, the book that we call the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of 1 Corinthians, they are books, we call them, but they were letters. You get it? They were written to Christians, to churches, well, there were seven churches mentioned here in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I want you to notice the names of these churches. The first one in Revelation 2 is Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, the church in Pergamos, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea. Now, I'm going to tell you, you have to understand, these are actual, literal churches, they were in this area known as Asia Minor. 
these churches are who God had John write to. And remember, a church is not a building. It's the people of God. So God, if we had the time, and maybe someday the Lord will allow me to teach on each one of these churches, today we're going to hone in on that very first church, and that's the church of Ephesus. Now, the one thing that as you see these churches and you look back in the Word of God and you look back in history, or should I say in the history of the church, because remember when Jesus came, He established the church. And we're not talking about churches that man has established. We're talking about the church of the living God, which we are a part of even to this day. But when these churches that were mentioned here in the book of Revelation, I believe, now you may differ, but I believe when you look in the Bible and you look back at church history, that each one of these churches represent a different age of the church history or the history of the church. For instance, go to the next slide. Notice here that on the left-hand side, you can barely see it, it says the word law. That's in reference to the Old Testament period in the Bible. At the end of the Old Testament, which we would see as the book of Malachi, Then something amazing happened. God sent forth his son into this world, Galatians 4.4. Jesus came. He was born. uh, He was virgin born. He came without committing one sin. He lived on this earth, and he went to the cross, and he gave his life so that all that would believe in him would have eternal life. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, you see the cross represented there. Once you get on the other side of the cross, the church that Jesus began, notice the the names of the seven churches that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and Revelation chapter number 3. Now, each one of those churches, and notice the dates, and you can even research this yourself. This is the history of the church as we know it. So the first one is where you have, that's awesome, way to go. They didn't do that the first service. You're the man. All right? See, even I can read that now, all right? So so during the first century, guess what? The apostles were still alive, right? Jesus died about 30, 33 A.D., and you see that the work that he began was put into their hands, and that was during that time period that the apostles were on this earth. And by the way, man's religion today still wants to teach that there's apostolic succession, which is not Bible, that's man's teachings, all right? There are no apostles alive today, all right? Now, once you get past the church of Ephesus, that period of the church history, then notice you have the Roman persecution that took place from 100 to about 313 uh, BC, AD. And so what you have here is, this is the time period represented by the church of Smyrna, which would be the next of the churches that was written to in Revelation chapter number 2. Now then you go to the church in Pergamos, or Pergamum, and the period there, 313 to 600. Notice it's the age of Constantine. By the way, that is when the church at Rome was established by Constantine. Notice Jesus predated the church in Rome, but yet you find the persecution and you find this is the time period where many things started to happen religiously outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Notice then you go to the period of the church known as Thyatira, 
Notice the dates there is 600 to 1517. How many of you have heard of the Dark Ages? All right. We all know it's a real thing. It was a time period. It was also a time period in church history where many people went underground. Christians hid for their lives and so on. But guess what? God has always had a remnant. And we see that time period there in Thyatira. Then notice Sardis is the church that represents the time of the Reformation. This is the time when Martin Luther took his grievances against the, the Roman Catholic Church, the 95 Thesis, and he went to the church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed it to the doors of the church in Wittenberg. And we find that that was the beginning of what is known as the Reformation. God's people started to see the Word of God, started to see the truth of it, got out from underneath of the tyranny of the church that was over them up to this particular time. Which brings us to the last two of the churches mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. The one is known as the Church of Philadelphia. Now the word Philadelphia is a compound word. You have the word phileo, which is uh, also a noun or a verb, same, ver same uh, root there, same stem. And the word phileo is actually means love. Now God's love is an agape love. This type of love, phileo love, is a brotherly love. So we have a city in the United States called Philadelphia. It's the city of brotherly love. Well, the church in Philadelphia, look at this, from 1649 to the 1900s was the greatest time period and the greatest movement for missionary activity that was sent out from local churches like ours, some of those that went into the interior, some of those that, that really paved the way like Livingston and many others, Adniram Judson, that took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the regions beyond. And many today that are serving in foreign lands owe a great de a, a debt of gratitude to those during that time period, the church in Philadelphia or that time period, which brings us to the, the last of the churches, which is the church of Laodicea. Now, if you notice, many believe the time period would be somewhere 1900 till the present day. I personally believe, and you may differ, I personally believe we're living in that time period right there. I believe that when you look at that letter that's written to those churches, the word Laodicea, means people's rights or people's rule. It's all about everybody doing that which was right in his own eyes. It's the time of what the Bible calls apostasy, a falling away from the truth. And if you notice that once that time period ends, because can you pull that thing back down where we can see that whole thing again? Let's see if he can work his magic. You're the man, all right? Now look at that. See that up there? called the church age, all right? If you know anything about the Old Testament, I'm giving you extra this morning. You don't have to pay me for it afterwards, all right? But this time period known as the church age, if you know anything about the Old Testament and the prophecy that God gave to Daniel, he mentioned 70 weeks. Uh, of those 70 weeks, 69 of them have already happened. There's only one week left to Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. Now this right here, the church age, is not the 70th week. We need to rightly divide the word of God because this church age is a parenthetical time period 
where God has chosen, and listen, I'm glad he did because it includes the Gentiles, which is us, but God is allowing the church to be active during this time period because when the rapture happens, which is the next thing that's going to happen on God's providential timetable, then notice that when the rapture happens, the next word is the word tribulation. And the tribulation is a seven-year period that is also known as the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. Now, aren't you glad that you and I that are saved are not going to be here during that time of tribulation? We will be with the Lord. And God's people said, amen for that. Now, I said all that because, listen, we're not going to study all these churches, but I want you to understand these are churches, God's people, that the Lord is writing to, and he's using John, the book of Revelation, and we're going to address that first church there. Now, let me give you a little background to the church in Ephesus this morning. Now, when you look at the church of Ephesus, it was a well-known town, and we need to understand this, this was during the time of the Roman Empire in the first century, it was a very cosmopolitan city. There were people from all different uh, classes of life that would come there, and, uh, and, and I want you to look at this because uh, you see all the little dots that are on the map across the bottom. You have the stadium, you have the Church of St. Mary, you have the theater gymnasium, the Grand Theater, which is the big structure there, number seven. You have the Agora, which the Agora is the marketplace where people would go shopping, and you have other places on here like the Library of Celsus, and you have, look at this, number 13, public toilets. Listen, don't get excited about it because you just go into a bathroom and you never think about it. That's a big deal back then to have actual places. They, there were bathhouses. There, were, there was temples built. There was all kinds of monuments and temples that were built. There was a water palace. There was a fountain. If you can tell, listen, you can look at some of the other cities during this time period and they did not have all the extravagant things that Ephesus had in that city. It was a, a place where there were many things, and among all those things that were there was this next structure, which was the temple that was dedicated to Diana. And this is still considered by many one of the seven wonders of the world. Now, when you look at all that was going on there, this was a place of renown. Many people would go to Ephesus, Paul himself, and I apologize, I don't have a picture of Paul preaching. This next slide's the best one I could do where Paul maybe found himself in front of the temple of Diana, and what was he doing? He was preaching Jesus Christ to those people. He was preaching about the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord, and many people were called unto Jesus that put their faith and trust in him in the city of Ephesus. Now, I want you to get a visual this morning to help you understand, look at the map here of Ephesus, and I want you to see, can you zoom a little bit for me there, that the body of water is the Mediterranean Sea, and uh, there you go, and pull it down this way a little bit, pull it down there, keep going, there you go. So, see, Ephesus is right there, it's a seaport, and, and if I, I want you to see those seven stars, that's the seven churches in Revelation 2, in Revelation chapter number 3. Now, if you look in the order that they are given, you see Ephesus, then you go up to Smyrna, then you go to Pergamum, and then you come down to Laodicea. In other words, they're given in a circle. 
Those are the seven churches. They were literal churches that were written to by John. And not only did John write to them, but we have in our New Testament the book of Ephesians, which was a letter written to those also in Ephesus. This was a people that God loved very much. Let me say that again. Ephesus, the the Christians that were there, the church that was there, was a people that God loved very much. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John writes unto them, look in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. Uh, go back to the last picture. You got ahead of me there. So, so here's the thing is, is he mentions in Revelation 1 and in Revelation 2 the same thing. And here's what he mentions, that in the hand of the Lord Jesus, he holds in his right hand, which the right hand is significant, that he is holding the seven stars in his right hand. The Bible mentions that twice. Now, Bible scholars believe that these stars actually represent the messengers of those churches. They are, in other words, the preachers, the pastors even, if you will, of those seven churches. Just like today, I just happen to have the responsibility to pastor Bible Baptist Church. God has me here. And by the way, I don't take that lightly. I take it very seriously because one day I'm going to stand before the Lord, Hebrews chapter 13, and excuse me, give an account of what I did here as I led this church, as I tried to help the people that were here. See, it's the responsibility of a God gospel-preaching pastor to illuminate the way of God to a lost world, a darkened world spiritually. And how do we do that? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in his right hand are the seven stars, which many believe represents the pastors of each of those seven churches. But then he also mentions in verse 2, he says here, uh, excuse me, verse 1, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now you can go to that slide. And again, I, I apologize, it's a poor, maybe a poor picture but I'm just trying to get a visual here. Remember how we saw those stars on the map and how they went in a circle. And the Bible says how the Lord is in the midst of those seven candlesticks. Now, many believe that those candlesticks represent the seven churches. Now, listen, I'll tell you one thing. I'm glad you're here today. But more than you being here, I want the Lord to be here. Because if he's not here, we're not having church. And there's a lot of buildings in our city that call themselves churches. But you can't find any evidence that the Lord is there. You say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because God has instructed us in his word what he will honor, what he will bless. And listen, we churches today have gotten so man-centered, so focused on emotions, so focused on feeding the flesh. Listen, when we come together to meet with the Lord, we come together to worship Him. Well, how do we do that? We, we praise Him. We pray to Him. We, 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 we lift up His Word. I mean, there are many ways 
and we want to make sure that He is in our midst. The Bible says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I have promised that I will be in the midst of them. And that's what we want, and that's what He says here this morning, that He is there, and the responsibility of every Bible-believing church is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said himself, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Why do we do that? Why did he give us that responsibility? Because, again, we are to be the salt and light of this world. We are to help people to come to know him. And so as John is writing here under the inspiration in Revelation chapter 2, we find that he is telling the church in Ephesus some things that they are doing well, and then he talks about some things that they are not doing so well. Now, again, when you think about this, he comes to verse number four, which is our text, and Jesus says something very amazing to this church, and I want you to see it again. Look at it. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Well, what is it that he has against us? That thou hast left thy first love. Now, they were doing some things well. Listen, they were doing some things well. But they had left the most important thing. Now, the word there in the Bible doesn't say they lost their first love, does it? says they left it. There's a difference between the word lost and left. Because if you lose something, you misplaced it, you don't know where it's at. But if you left it, the Bible says here that left means to send it away, to let it go, to leave it behind. What are we sending away? What have we left behind? Our first love. Look, it doesn't matter Uh, how much you contend for the faith, and it doesn't matter how much doctrine you know, and it doesn't matter what you do in the church or what you do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at what the Lord is saying here, if you have left your first love, all of those things that you do are nothing more than wood, hay, and stubble to the Lord. Notice what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or as tinking, tinking, tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Now the word charity is a word that's synonymous with the word love. In other words, if we have not love, we're nothing. What is God saying here? God's saying to the church in Ephesus that love, my love is supreme. And God says, I want my love to be evident in my church, among my people. And so let's look at the message this morning to the church in Ephesus. Now remember, the message was given by the Lord. These are his words to this church, and as we look at these words, I want you this morning, like I did this week, to look at your heart and see if your love and your heart is where it should be. 
And it all begins with the Lord's compliment. Now, how many of you have ever heard of the one-minute manager? Anybody? Some of us have. The principle behind it is sometimes in life, we have difficult things to deal with. We might have something difficult to talk to somebody about. And so instead of just wading out into that with, with the more difficult or hard things to say, you begin by giving somebody a, something good, a compliment. And so what you do is you might say something good about them, and then you move from there to whatever else it is. Now, what does the Lord begin with here with the church in Ephesus, which is the first of the seven churches? He begins with a compliment. Now, some of you are going to remember certain things of this message, and one of the things you're going to remember the next time somebody comes to you and starts to say nice things to you, you're going to think, you're one minute managing me. What do you really want to talk about? All right? So the Lord's going to get to that. Okay? We need to understand, as we already have seen it, maybe you've read this many times, these first seven verses in Revelation chapter 2 and verse, verses 1 through 7. But notice here that if we are going to be a good person, if we're going to be a good Christian, if we're going to be a good parent, if I'm going to be a good pastor, there's one thing that we need to make sure that we are given a priority in our lives, and that is we need to be reading God's Word every day. Every day we need to be in the Word of God, and as we are reading God's Word, we're going to see what we'll see this morning, and that is the Lord was about to give a rebuke to this church, but before He rebuked them, He gave them a compliment. Now, what is His compliment that He gives to this church? And I want you to see it. Look at verse number 2. The Bible says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. Now, this is the Lord saying this to his people. So when he says, I know, how many of you know that God knows everything about us, right? He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're, what, you know, what's on your mind, what's in your heart. He knows all things. The first thing he says to this church is, I know that you're a caring church. And he brings up a few words here that I think are very significant about a church that cares. The first word that he mentions is he says, I know thy works. And when he says the word works here, don't get me wrong, we are not saved by our works, but once we are saved, we are to be known by our works. We're to provoke people unto love and to good works. We are, listen, only what's done for Christ will last. So when you see the word here, it's actually in reference to their employment. They were, this was a church, a people of God that were busy about the things of God. They were doing the things of God. And not only does he say, I know thy works, but he says, I know thy labor. Now the word labor here, that as they are doing those works, they're busy about the things of God. They're working so much, they're working to the point of exhaustion. You ever felt that way? At the end of the day, you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm like wiped out. You know, I was talking to one of the guys this morning. I said, you look tired. He goes, I am, you know. But sometimes we're exhausted. You know, it's, it, for me, one of the hardest days that I have is Mondays. Because after the Lord's Day, every Sunday, and doing everything that we do, I feel like a Mack truck hit me when I get up on Monday morning. And, and it's just like, I, I really, a lot of times on Monday, I do things that require no brain activity. You know, I just try to do things that I know I'm going to have to do during the week, but I don't have to engage my mind just yet. 
Some of you kind of know what I'm talking about because your mind's not engaged right now. I'm just kidding. So he says to this church, I know that you love me. You're a caring church. I can see it by your works. I can see it by your labors. This was a church that maybe like ours, it has rev- had revival meetings, and like ours, had a missions conference, and like ours, uh, it has a Wednesday night, and like ours, doing this and doing that, maybe having a work day around the church. Everything that this church was doing was being done right. It was a virtual beehive of Holy Spirit-directed activity. It was a busy place where everything that was happening was happening for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like the missionary years ago, David Brainerd, said, I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them, and when I awake, they are first in my thoughts. Brainerd said, listen, that's all I want to do is I want to serve the Lord. I want to work for the Lord. I want to labor for the Lord. And what a great testimony for the Lord to give to a church, that the church was a caring church, that they worked and they labored. Well, why were they doing that in Ephesus? So that people could come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then I think of our church. Now, here I am studying about the church of Ephesus, and I thought about, by, I sat down last night, my wife and I, we went to the rodeo. I put, on, I put my cowboy on, and we went to the rodeo. We had a great time. Some of our uh, church members and us, we went, and, and we had a good time. And I sat down, and, and we, we were trying to save some seats, and there was a, a husband and wife and a little girl that showed up, and they were looking for a spot, and they said, are these seats taken? And I said, well, uh, you could sit there. I said, but if you don't mind, can you save a little? We got some people coming, and they're like, sure. So they sat down, and so I was, I was just kind. I said, now, is, do you have enough room? Uh, oh, yeah, do you guys have enough room? They were very nice. And, and so the lady looks over at me, and she says, the last time we were here, we were, with our, we were with a church group. And I said, well, what church were you going to? And she said, well, we used to go to this church, and, and then we were going to this church, but we just haven't found a church. And I said, well, in the church she mentioned was a Baptist church. And I said, well, I just happen to be the pastor of Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines. She goes, what? And her husband goes, what's a pastor doing at a rodeo? And I said, everybody's got a little cowboy in it. You know, And so, you know, look, we need to make sure we have a good testimony. I think about people in our church and, and over the years, uh, the, the hundreds, if not in the thousands of people that have come to know Christ as their Savior, all because of the ministry of Bible Baptist Church. She's like, where's your church at? And I said, told her, and I said, I said our church just celebrated 72 years. And she goes, yeah, I think I was there years ago at one time. And I said, well, you need to come back. You know, I invited her to come to the church and she, she say that, that they didn't have a church they were going to. But I think about our, our people, some of our people pray every day for our church and they pray for the people in our church and they pray for their pastor. And I think about people that go out in, from house to house and we did that again yesterday and people, people went from door to door talking to people about the Lord. I thank God for people in our church that just like those in Ephesus that are serving and I, I, I shudder to even say this for fear of maybe forgetting someone, but I I think about people that, that sing in the choir, and I think about people doing the media, and people that are ushering, and people that are doing uh, welcoming, people coming in the doors, people in the nursery, and wherever it might be here. I think about all those people that are, that are working and laboring for the Lord. But then he mentions also another word here. He says, I know thy works, and I know thy labors, and I know thy patience. Now, a lot of times we think the word patient 
is like we're standing in a line and we're waiting our turn. But I want you to understand what the word means right here in Revelation 2.2. Here's what it means is it's talking about the people of God that didn't get tired of it all. Are you listening? They didn't get tired of working for the Lord. They didn't get tired of laboring for the Lord. They refused to throw in the towel. They just weren't going to quit. They just kept after it. I mean, the longer that I live and the longer that I serve God, I thank God for people who just stay by the stuff with all that they've dealt with in their life. They just keep serving the Lord. You know, now the Bible tells us, look in Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in what kind of doing? Well-doing. Well, I think what we do for the Lord is well-doing. He says, for in due season. Now, I don't know what season, if that's spring or winter or fall. I don't, I don't know what season, you know, due season. I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry his coming or when he's going to call us home. But until he does, look here. It says, we shall reap how? If we faint not. Oh, pastor. Oh, oh, pastor. You, you just don't know all that I've been dealing with. No, but he does. Do you love him? Or have you left your first love? See, if you love him, you'll serve him. You'll labor. You'll work. You'll have patience. See, he loves his church because... He gives a compliment. They were a caring church. They, they were a contending church. Jude verse 3, look at it. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Listen, folks, haven't you figured it out yet? If you don't contend for it, then guess what? It won't be long, and you won't have it anymore. Because what does it mean to contend? Notice there, to contend means to stand up and to oppose error, to stand against, to fight against the untruths that abound concerning God. I want you to notice again, look at verse 2 as we read on. He says, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience. Now watch this. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Look at verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, hate's a strong word. And by the way, that word hate there is not, God's word for hate is not the same as what you and I think hate is. Listen, the Bible says in the Old Testament, these six things do I hate. God gives a list of things that he does not like, that he, that he disdains. And he says right here, listen, you need to understand that in our day, in your day that you live, that you need to, you need to fight against untruths, things that I do not like. And the Bible tells us here, he says in verse 2 again, how thou canst not bear them. He's talking about the church in Ephesus Listen to me this morning, Christian. They were a discerning church. Look, when they heard people come along and people said, hey, we're apostles. 
or hey, here's a gospel, or here's a message from God, what did they do? They didn't say, oh, oh, let me embrace that. Oh, that must be right because you said that. No, no, no. The Bible says they tried their message. Well, what was their measuring rod? They measured it up against what the apostles had, had written, what the apostles had said, what, what the, uh, the, uh, uh, the um, uh, prophets of old had said, what the prophets had written down. This was not some ecumenical church that just believed everything that came down the pike in the name of God. These were Christians who tried the spirits. They studied what was being, was, was being said in their day. They were a church that by the Lord was commended for their intolerance. They rejected untruths. They were intolerant of false teaching by false prophets and false teachers. John writes in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of who? Of God. Why? Because many false prophets are gone out in the world. How many of you believe many false prophets are in the world today? Listen, if your hand's not up, you are deceived. Because there are many false prophets out in the world today. And, And I get it. Listen, I hear people say this often. Well, listen, we're living in a world where we just need to get all faiths together. You know, we're just supposed to love everyone. And listen, I, w- I want to. I, I, with the Lord's help, I'm doing my best to love everyone. I will tell you this, I don't think all faiths are ever going to get together. But I'll tell you this, we must not ever tolerate teachings that are opposed to the Word of God. And so he's writing to this church. Why? Because, listen, his compliment was, you're a caring church. His compliment was, you're a contending church. And his compliment was, you're a consistent church. Now look at the Bible says in verse 3 about them. He says, and has born and has patience for my name's sake, has labored and has not fainted. Now, you know what he's saying here? He's saying, here's, here's a church, here's a people of God that, listen, life hasn't been a bowl of cherries, and life hasn't been just all fluff and, and just nice this and nice that. These are people that had been through some fiery trials, but they did not quit. So many times we, you know, something happens and we just want to throw in the towel. That wasn't the church in Ephesus. I remember years ago when we were in California, we had so many dear people that we're still friends to many of them today, but, you know, it's oftentimes hard to leave sometimes, but we understood it was the Lord's will that we came to Florida and we followed the Lord here. But while we were there, there were many wonderful Christians there, and one of those was a lady by the name of Edie Smith or Edie Brown. And uh, I remember Edie, she was a mother of uh, our oldest daughter, her best friend at the time. This was her mom. And so we got, got, got to know her, uh, Edie Brown, and we got to know her husband, Tony. And uh, we, we remember when we heard the news that Edie had cancer. And we remember as it was God's will that her cancer would progress, that God would not take it from her. And, of course, on the other side of it now, we all understand why, because 
Edie became a trophy of God's grace. And we saw Edie, and one of the things that she was involved in was the church choir. Now, the choir there at that time, I think, and maybe still is, was around 200 or 220 or so people in the choir. And, and, and Edie was one of the 200 and some people in the choir. And, but, you know, when she sang in the choir, you couldn't miss her. You could just see the love on her face as she sang for the Lord. Praise the Lord. And her cancer just continued to progress. And I remember one Sunday the choir came out and they were lining up in the choir area there and I saw Edie come in and you couldn't miss her because that day she had a, a bandana on her head. All her hair was gone. She could have said, you know, God let this happen to me. And so I'm just, that's it. She could have just said, I don't want anybody to see me like this. And just, that's it. No, she was just consistent. She came out and sang in the choir. I found out maybe a week or so later that they have a, two services on Sunday morning like we do here, and Edie sang in the choir in the early service, and between the early service and the second service, they said Edie went into the ladies' room, and she got sick from the cancer, and she got her self cleaned up and she got back in line and she came back out and sang at the second service. So many people get mad at God for what God does. You do know God loves you, right? God would never hurt you. That's the lie of the devil. So many people have faced trials. But when I look at the church at Ephesus, the Lord is saying, look, you've endured. You've stayed after it. You've kept your eyes on me. It's evident that the compliments of the Lord to the church in Ephesus are very clear. And I would hope that the same would be said about the church of Bible Baptist Church, that we are a caring church, that we are a contending church, and that we're a consistent church. You see, the Lord finishes the one-minute manager, and he moves to his second thing, and that is he then gives his concern to the church at Ephesus. And I want you to see the concern because it brings us back to our text in verse 4. Notice the first word in verse 4. See, he said all that he said to bring you to verse 4, and that is, nevertheless, in spite of all that you're doing good, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. See, he was saying to them that their passion had lessened. Their passion. What used to be there, they, they were now just going through the motions and they had lost the heart. They were no longer, as the Bible says, doing the will of God from the heart. And we find that they had lost the excitement do you remember what it was like when you first got saved? You remember how excited you were? I mean, listen, whether you want to admit it or not, you were. I guarantee you, you were thinking about that first love in your life. And the same is true at the church at Ephesus, that at one time, this church was known as a very loving church. Paul wrote to them in Ephesians 1 and verse 15, look at it. He says, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith, 
He says, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I also heard about your love unto all the saints. But something had happened. Because the Bible tells us that their love and their passion began to decrease. It was no longer as red hot as it once was. The first love, as I think about it, is a love that is filled with zeal and it's filled with excitement. I remember the first time I laid eyes on my my beautiful wife over here, Joy, and I just heard her name, Joy. I was like, that's the one, you know. And I remember, boy, the more I started talking to her, the more I wanted to get to know her, and nothing was going to stop me. As a matter of fact, I started going to church because I wanted to sit by her. That's when you got it bad. I mean, I wasn't going to church, and she invited me. Now, I didn't, I care less what the preacher said. I cared less what God wanted. Only thing I wanted was to be with her. I remember wintertime in the Midwest. It was harsh winters when we were growing up, and I mean, it got cold, bitter cold. <laughs> and, and so I, I remember one time I, I wanted to go see her, and it was, oh, it was so cold. And there was, I think there was a little bit of snow on the ground, and, and I thought, now how am I going to go over? I had a car, but my car, um, it, 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 my car ran. It just didn't run in the wintertime when it was cold. Some of, you, some of you get that. I'll explain it to the rest of you in the lobby afterwards. But my car, it was a beast of a car. But, but I wanted to see her, and I thought, now how can I get over there? And I thought, I'll walk. Now, from my house, my mom and dad's house to her mom and dad's house was about maybe a 10, a little bit more than a 10-minute drive. But in the cold, in the weather, on foot, it was at least a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes. And so I got my coat, got my hat, got my gloves. Now, back then, <clears throat> I, I had a full beard. I was completely covered. I looked like a woolly mammoth. And, uh, and so I, I set out to go see her. I mean, I walked, and every step, I could just see her face. I, could, I just wanted to be with her. Oh, I, I just couldn't wait. And so I got to the house. She didn't know I was coming. I knocked on the door, and the door opened, and there she was, my angel. And she looked at me, and she had this strange look on her face, and what I didn't know was on the walk over that my mustache became a popsicle. It was completely frozen solid from the moisture coming out of my nose. Now, I'm hoping that that said right then and there to her, this guy really loves her because I proved it. See, if you really love someone, you're going to demonstrate it. You're going to show it. And the same is true for the Lord. When you look at this, is look, we need to express our love for Him. And <clears throat> I think about people sometimes that when they first get saved, and I love when, when somebody gets saved and they come to Christ, and the Bible says old things are passed away and all things are become what? New. And you know what happens is people that are newly saved, they come to the altar. They come and spend time with the Lord. 
But you know what I notice after people are saved for a while? Is they no longer come to the altar. Or they come once in a blue moon. Why? Something's changed. They've forgotten that first love. They've left. That it, Listen, it's easy. It can happen to any of us. It happened to the church in Ephesus. Jesus said, I've somewhat against thee. They have, look, the writer, songwriter said, we are prone to leave the God we love. It can happen to any of us. But I don't know about you this morning. I'm glad that God loves us enough to tell us, and that's what he's doing here. He's telling us when we need to change. And he's got a concern, and his concern, one of them was that the church in Ephesus, their passion had lessened. But then his second concern was this, their witness had diminished. You see, when people get saved, they want to tell their friends. They want to tell their co-workers, hey, let me tell you what, how about the song Peter sang a minute ago, the woman at the well, remember what she did? She went into town, the woman with a bad reputation, she'd been with five husbands and she's living with a man that she's not even married to and she went into town and told everyone about this man who told her all things that ever she did. Man, she didn't care what people thought. There used to be a time where you were so excited about being saved, you didn't care what other people thought. You just wanted them to know Jesus. But then something happened. The longer you're saved, the honeymoon's over. You no longer want to witness. You no longer want to give out gospel tracts and invite people to church. One of our men yesterday, we went out and we were going out. We had a, praise God, we had a van full of people go out again yesterday and he was talking with excitement in the van as we were going out. Hey, listen, I was talking to somebody at work, and somebody else at work heard me talking and, and, and started saying this, and I invited him to church. And listen, even though maybe he didn't come today, I'm glad that at least our members are talking to people about the Lord. But we get to the place where we're no longer talking about the Lord. And the Bible says in verse number 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And listen, he says, look, I want you to think back. Because your lack of love has taken you to a lack of works. You used to love me enough to tell other people about me. And you used to love me enough, but you no longer do that. And listen, could it be the reason you no longer do that is because you you don't love me the way you used to love me. Look, I, I remember years ago when I first got saved, our home church used to have bus routes. And we used, to, we used to work on those bus routes. I remember when I first got saved, somebody said, hey, will you work on my bus route? Well, I didn't know anything about it. And I started inviting boys and girls. Listen, boys and girls that, could, uh, you know, moms and dads weren't going to bring them to church. And so we thought to ourselves, well, listen, uh, if nothing else, if they're not interested in bringing their kids, if they're uh, going to allow us to bring them, then we'd love to bring their kids. And I remember all the boys and girls that came and heard about the Lord, many of them got saved. And and I remember as we, we were working on those buses and we would go out and pick up those kids, we would go out and every, we were like the postmen. We would go out in, in the, the rain and the sleet and the snow. It didn't matter. We, we picked up those boys. One Sunday that we had an ice storm in town and, and I remember I showed up at the church and I thought, well, surely we're not going out today on the buses because there's a layer of ice covering everything, including the roads. And uh, I, I saw our bus captain and I said, hey, Roger, we're... We're not going out today, right? I said, I mean, it's too dangerous to run the bus. And he says, oh, no, I think we, we're going to go out. Now, the problem was I was the driver. I said, I, I don't think it's the Lord's will that we go out today. 
They say, oh, no, these boys and girls, they, they, they need to come to church. They need to hear about Jesus. You know, and, and I, I was like, okay, I, I'll never forget the apartment complex. You had to kind of go down this hill. Once you got down in there, it was kind of like this. And I thought, we're going to get down there. And I literally thought we were never going to get that bus out of there. It was, it was the, the power of God that got that old bus up and out of that, that apartment complex. And I, I remember as we went out, we stopped at, uh, there was an old skating rink, and we couldn't go down in this trailer park, and, and the bus captain, he got off the bus that day, and when he, when he stepped out of the bus and he put his foot on the ground, as soon as his foot touched the ice, whoosh, boom, he was down, like some of those skaters on the Olympics that didn't mean to do that, but that's where they ended up. And, and I thought, we need to head back to the church. And he goes, oh, no, we need to go pick these boys or girls up because they need to hear about the Lord. Howard Hendricks said, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are shuddering and stuttering. They're not telling people about the Lord. Listen, you know what Jesus, what God thinks when he sees people? He thinks that's a soul my son died for. I wonder this morning, what do you think when you see someone? Because it's so important that we see people the way God does. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, The Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Have you ever, listen, I've done this so many times and I'm so ashamed of it. Sometimes I look at somebody and I see things on the outward and I think to myself, that person's never going to get saved. And I'm ashamed of myself that I think that sometimes. And when they get saved, God looks at me and says, Oh, ye of little faith, doubter. See, here's the church at Ephesus. Listen, he had a lot of things to compliment them about, but their passion for him had lessened. And they got to a place where they were no longer telling other people about him. And God had a concern. Why? Because they were no longer in the, the first love stage. There was a lacking of love and a lessening of service in the church. It's kind of like the man that, that he had, this doctor said, listen, you need to have an operation. And so they scheduled it. And he went in for his surgery. And they wheeled him out from, the, from the, uh, the recovery area there. And they brought him into a room. And his wife's sitting there beside his bedside. And a little time went by. And he finally started to come around and open his eyes and he, he was a little groggy and blurry, and he, he finally noticed that his, that was his wife. And, and he looked at her, and he goes, you're beautiful. And then he, then he kind of slipped away again. And he was out for a while, and a little time went by, and he started to awake again. And she kind of moved up to the bed there, and he opened his eyes, and he's getting his focus. And he sees his wife again, and he goes, you're cute. And she goes, hey, what happened? She, she said, earlier you said I was beautiful. And he said, well, the anesthesia is wearing off. Now, she probably slapped him. But you know what's wrong with most Christians? Is the anesthesia is worn off. See, you used to love the Lord. I mean, I'm talking first love kind of love. I'm not saying you don't love him today. I'm saying it's easy for us to get away from the things that we used to do. Jesus even describes the hearts of people in the Bible in what we call the last days. And notice what he says in Matthew 24. Because the iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now notice he's describing the end times. He's talking about there's going to be, and a lot of people believe we're almost already there, there's going to be so much wickedness in the world 
that people who are Christians that were once red hot for the Lord are completely cooling off. It's like they've had a bucket of water poured onto them. And I don't know what it is in your life today, but listen, if you are not as excited as you once were, God says, you need to remember first love. What is it that has caused you to lessen your excitement? Is there some sin? Have you taken your eyes off the Lord? Paul said, of, notice to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas had forsaken me, notice his description here, because he loved this present world. If our hearts grow cold, guess what happens? We will find ourselves away from the Lord. So listen, the Lord compliments him. And then, notice he says, I do have a couple concerns. But I love this because this is how good God is. Are you listening this morning? He gives, before he signs off this letter to this church, he says, I want to give you some counsel. Now, here's the big question this morning is, are you going to receive the counsel of the Lord this morning? Because God has some things that he wants to say to you. How many of you think God has the right to say things to you and I, right? We are his people. And so the best counsel that you and I can get it's from the Word of God. It's not from Dr. Phil. You see, everybody wants to listen to this doctor, that doctor, this doctor. How about Dr. Jesus? Because he is the great physician. So what is his counsel? Here it is. Write it down. First of all, his counsel is to remember. Well, what are we to remember? Well, he says in verse number 5, look at it. Remember, therefore, from whence... Thou art fallen. Okay, so he says here, I want you to go back. Now listen to me. I'm not going to ask you to say anything out loud, but every one of you ought to be able to go back in your mind, go back in, in time, go back to the place, go back to wherever, and every one of you ought to be able to think of where it was that you met the Lord and you called upon his name and you asked him to be your Lord and Savior. Because listen, if that time has never happened, that is the most important thing, because if you can't remember that, and I'm not trying to cause anybody to doubt their salvation, but everybody ought to be able to know that, hey, listen, I know that I have been saved by the grace of God. For me, it was January 22nd, 1984, at Bible Baptist Church in St. Charles, Missouri. I remember the very next Sunday, January 27th, I followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Listen, I wrote that down. You know why? Because my pastor said the devil's going to look for any opportunity to get you to doubt that you ever made that decision. And I, I'll tell you, every time the devil had tried to do that over the years, I just turned in my Bible where I wrote that down. And I looked at those words and I said, get thee behind me, Satan. Now look what Jesus said in, in John 3. Look what he says. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. You've been born again? Because if you haven't been born again, notice you cannot see the kingdom of God. You will not spend eternity with the Lord. I'm not trying to be unkind this morning. Look, all of us had a physical birth. You're here today. And all of us are going to have a death day. Now, here's the big question. Are you going to have two births and one death or two? It's your choice. Because watch this. You're going to have a physical birth, and you're going to have a spiritual birth, and then you're going to have a spiritual death. Or you're going to have a physical birth, and you're going to have a spiritual death and a physical death. It's your choice. Jesus was trying to help Nicodemus. He says, 
you must be born of the water and of the spirit. He was talking about water, physical birth, and spirit, spiritual birth. There must be a born again. To be born again means to be born from above. Remember what Nicodemus said? He says, can a man enter a second time in a mother's womb? And all mothers said, no way, Jose. What was he saying? He says, listen, salvation is of the Lord. You must be born again. Do you remember that? I hope you do. And then watch this. If you are saved, here's this next counsel, is repent. Look at verse 5 again. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly. I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, repent, look, that's a great Bible word. You might not like it, but it's a great Bible word. It means to think differently, to change one's mind. It involves a turning with contrition from sin to God. It's an about face. It's saying, look, I no longer want that. You were heading to sin, now you're heading to God. He says, look, you need to repent if you are saved. If you can remember a time that you have put your faith in Christ, then you need to today be honest where you are. And if you will be honest with where you are, then you'll probably realize that you need to get back to where you once was. Remember the prodigal? He was enjoying being with the father. And then he said, I want what's coming to me. And he took it and he wasted it on riotous living. And the Bible says when he came to himself, he realized how good he had it back there. And so what did he do? He went back to the father. And by the way, he didn't have to look for the father. The father was right where he left him. And God is still in the same place. And what you and I that have gotten away from our first love need to do is we need to repent. And then I want you to notice the last part of his counsel, and that is to receive his words. Look at verse 7. By the way, you see this often in these letters and in the book of Revelation. Notice, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, we're the church today. We're the church of the living God. And he's speaking to us today. Well, what are we to do? Receive his words. If you get your heart right with God and you repent of your sins, then guess what's going to happen? The preaching is going to come alive again, and your Bible reading, the words are going to jump off the pages, and you're going to want to tell people about the Lord. You're going to want to witness, and that passion's going to come back. You're going to be all excited about it. Listen, I love baby Christians. You know why? Because when somebody first gets saved, they want to hang around the house of God. They want to they want to be a part of what's going on. But you get somebody that's been saved for a while and they no longer want to hang around. They can't wait for the church service to get over and they can't wait to get home and get, go do whatever they want. They no longer want to come back on Sunday nights or on Wednesday nights because Sunday morning's all I need. Listen, the passion many times is gone. The first love has left them. And what David said is, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Hey, listen, that ought to be our prayer. Lord, I want to get back. I want to get back to where I left my first love. Now, can you take your Bible, go back just a few pages to 1 John, 1 John chapter number 4. Everybody turn there. 1 John, now when you get there, you're probably going to know this verse. 
But I want you to look in verse number 19, and let's read it together. 1 John 4, 19, here we go. We love him. Come on. All right, everybody there now? Okay, here we go. Let's do it again. We love him. First love. Watch this. See, this whole message, you've been thinking about your first love. No, that's not the message. The message is that he loved you first before you ever loved him. How many of you are glad he loves you? Yeah. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I wonder this morning, can you remember a time that you were saved? Can you remember maybe a place, anything about it? You may not remember all the details, but there should be a time that you can think back to. How many of you by an upraised hand said, Pastor, I can think of a time. I know I'm saved by the grace of God. Can you raise your hand this morning? I'm saved and I know it. Some of you may not have your hand up. You can put your hands down. Some of you may not know the Lord is your Savior. And listen, God brought you here today so that you could put your faith in Him. Don't leave today without the Lord because you're not guaranteed of a tomorrow. Now, a lot of hands went up. Let me speak to those of you that had your hand up. How's your love for the Lord? Is it still as exciting as it was when you first got saved? I'm not upset at you. The Lord is the one that said he has somewhat against you. I don't ever want to do anything that would cause God to be against me, to not be pleased with me. Some of you, if I asked you, you could raise your hand. I'm not where I used to be. I love the Lord, but I don't love him the way I used to. And maybe it's been because of trials. Maybe it's whatever. But God's calling out to you today to return. And he's doing that by using his word to get you to remember. Will you receive his words today? The piano's already playing. Would you stand to your feet this morning? The altar's open. Why don't you come this morning, respond, come to the Lord. If you need to be saved, if you need to come and repent, say, Lord, today I come back. Forgive me for getting away from you. My love for you is not what it once was, and I want to come today. Come on, don't put the Lord off. Remember, he's standing in the midst of the churches. And he used his messenger 
to deliver his message today. These next many weeks, we're going to look at things that we need to remember. But listen, I don't think any of those other things are going to matter if our relationship with him is not first and foremost. There's still time for you to respond. Lord, I thank you for the word that you have given to us today. Thank you for meeting with us. Thankful for the response of so many. And Lord, I I know that for many, including myself, it's difficult sometimes when we hear and we know what we should do and the flesh doesn't want to respond, doesn't want to go forward, doesn't want to hear what you have to say, to listen to what you want us to hear. But I'm thankful for the willingness on the part of your people and for those that that spent time with you that needed this message, that God, you would help them as they leave here this morning to keep that love, the love that you loved us first, to keep that love alive. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.